This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Lenovo launches new HPC platform. And White House floats budget for Exascale. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. Michael, we missed an episode last week, but there has been a lot of news going on this week in HPC. And let's start with a new server node that's targeting HPC with a water-cooled solution coming out of Lenovo. Right, this is the Lenovo ThinkSystem SD650, and that's a basically a very dense, direct water-cooled server, and it's aimed at the HPC market. Now, the ThinkSystem has been around as a portfolio for about a year or so, but this is actually a uh, an offshoot of that uh, directed for HPC servers, and it. Uh, it's going to get its first big test this year when it's deployed in Germany as part of the uh, SuperMuck NG system. That's a big 26 petaflop system. So they basically launched this uh, this uh, system this week, and uh, we're going to see a lot more of it in the coming months when uh, Germany gets its system up and running. This system actually had some co-design from Leibniz as they were trying to look at what design features they really wanted for SuperMuck. And in particular, they were targeting very high density and invested in the uh, the design of the system around this warm water cooled design where Lenovo has some previous experience. And the big thing is that they've achieved uh, not only system density where they've got two nodes, two two-socket nodes in a 1U package, but they can do this with the highest bin Xeon parts and they can cool it efficiently enough that they can run those processors consistently in turbo mode uh, and, and keep up with the system. So they can run these processors really very hot at a consistent level and that's what's going to be of interest to uh, to Leibniz uh, for SuperMuck and for the HPC industry in general. Yeah, exactly. And and the, the high bin parts here, like the the Xeon, basically the Xeon Skylake parts, uh, are very powerful, especially if they can run in turbo mode. The the top bin parts um, run at about two teraflops peak, and you have a couple of them in a in a server, and you've got four teraflops, which you know until quite recently you needed something like a GPU to get to to that level. So um, they were able to put this thing in a very dense uh, form factor get two of those nodes per one u rack, and that's why they needed the uh, the hot water the warm water cooling system. They they don't even have an option for this. I don't think for air cooling. It has to be warm water cooled to keep everything uh, running smoothly. And that warm water cooling, when you can uh, deploy it, has a lot of significant environmental advantages. In particular, I think in areas where you can get away with ambient air or free air cooling and you don't have to engage a, a chiller, uh, you just cycle the water through and then bring it back in. It's still warm, but it's cool enough to cool off these processors. Uh, that expenditure in saving on the the chillers uh, is is really can be quite significant at supercomputing levels of scale, right? And it's also very practical because a lot of these systems that are going to come online in the next few years have to go into an existing supercomputing center with whatever cooling capacity they already have. They they don't necessarily you don't want to retrofit your whole center because you need a, a bigger, hotter system. So solutions like this look very attractive, especially in places like Germany 
where where electricity is so expensive, it's about three or two or three times more expensive than it is in the U.S. So a system like this, which can save a lot of the electricity applied to the cooling and can fit into a data center that only has a limited amount of cooling, it looks very attractive to, to that sort of environment. Now, you point out in your article at uh, at uh, top500.org that uh, while this is not a GPU configuration, it's all Intel on the processor side, it does have options for supporting either the Intel OmniPath interconnect or InfiniBand, and they also have Ethernet ports for uh, for management functions. But uh, depending on your preference on high-end interconnects, you can go either uh, OmniPath or InfiniBand. Right. And we should say also the the warm water cooling here is actually direct uh, cooling. So it's run uh, directly over the CPUs, over the memory modules, and over the uh, SSDs if you've got those installed. So it basically takes the, the hottest components in the server, runs the water piped over them, and, and uh, dissipates the heat that way. So it's a very efficient system. And they, they claim, of course, that you know, it can save up to 30 to 40% of power compared to something like air cooling, of course, but that's pretty typical for a warm water cooling system. And furthermore, um, we see sometimes this same trick of as you're piping the hot water away, you can use that. You can right. heat your facility with it in the winter. Right, right. It becomes very useful. Essentially, you pipe it away, you have a larger facility adjacent to the data center where you actually have people in offices that need warmth in the in the cool seasons. That becomes very useful. In a place like Germany, of course, you've got a long cool season and not a really hot summer. So this becomes very efficient year round. All right, Michael, also this week in HPC, we've been have a lot of stories that are ramping up toward exascale. And in particular, we're looking at how the U.S. is doing their exascale plans. It's budgeting time. And the White House has its version of the budget out for the upcoming fiscal year. And it's requesting $636 million for exascale. Now, this is exascale readiness. This is not necessarily the systems itself, but getting the sites ready and developing an ecosystem, a software ecosystem around exascale. White House now requesting $636 million. Right, and that's for the DOE. So that's going to be split between the DOE's Office of Science, which is going to get the lion's share of that, like $473 million of that total. And then the National Nuclear Security Administration is going to get the uh, the remaining $163 million. So this is, like you said, this is sort of prep money for the exascale systems that are come online. It's not to buy the systems itself, but it's to to get the software ecosystem and the application ecosystem geared up. And it's also going to be applied to some of the R&D for what sounds like it's going to be the first two exascale systems at the DOE. That's Aurora at Argonne and then uh, the Frontier system at Oak Ridge. Those are looking to be the first two exascale systems in the U.S. and those are going to go into the, the DOE. So there's some design work there and uh, some development work that that has to take place. And some of this money in fiscal year 2019 is going to go into that. Yeah, I really like this. I mean, we've been saying all along, ever since someone coined the term exascale rather than talking about exaflops, that this is essentially going to come down to software. And we haven't even had 
really specific definitions about what the word exascale means, if not exaflops, except with the idea that maybe what you mean is that it's an exaflop-capable computer that has an application running on it, then that would mean it's exascale if the, if the software can actually take advantage of that. And really, it's the software development that's been uh, my greatest concern as an industry analyst who watches this space. I, we hear a lot about uh, power consumption and cooling and uh, resiliency, everything that it takes to build hardware out at that level of scale. And those are all very considerable challenges. But uh, you know, once you've got that, you have to have applications also running at that level of scale. And that's not only the, the final applications themselves, but the entire middleware stack, the developer tools, things like compilers uh, or you know, math libraries that, can, that, that are capable of, of building out applications to that level of scale. So to see this kind of investment uh, requested for DOE, I think is a really fundamental step if you're going to have these be usable supercomputers. Yeah. Uh, that said, I'm not sure how much this money is going to go into the, uh, the software ecosystem. They did mention it as a call-out, but the budget didn't actually break out the numbers in that detail. And I know some of it's not going to go there because they talked about the R&D and design for the exascale systems themselves. And then some of that money for the uh, NNSA is going to be siphoned off for two infrastructure projects. And I think 47 million of that is going to prep uh, Los Alamos National Lab and Lawrence Livermore National Lab to get those sites uh, upgraded for uh, for exascale systems in the future. So looking at the whole thing, it's it's not clear to me from the budget they put forward how much is going to the software ecosystem. But considering there's hundreds of millions of dollars at stake, there's plenty to draw from here. Um, just keeping in mind that uh, building a software ecosystem is a pretty expensive proposition. It's an ongoing one as well. Right. It's not something that's easy to specify at this level. You can't just go out to the department store and buy you know, give me right. 50 pounds of software for Exascale, ring me up. It, it's not like that. This needs to be developed. I, I will say that so far the, the bent I've heard is that the, there's a preference for open source here. So we're looking to develop software that can be readily used by a multitude of institutions once we have it. But beyond beyond that, it's it's hard to get really specific on what the real costs here. And we have to we have to visit uh, programming tools, programming models, libraries, the whole works. And uh, and it's it's just nice to, to at least see that there's a framework for having that possible. Now, we're saying there's a framework. This is a request. This is a, a White yeah. House budget request. This is going to go to Congress. It hasn't been approved yet. There's you know likely all sorts of trimming that can go around. There's no reason to think that this uh, project in particular would get targeted by one side or another, but if the budget gets a haircut overall, then uh, then who knows how much money actually winds up in the final allocation? Right, that's that's a great point. I mean, we don't know how much this money is actually going to make it to the the final bill, and then how much is going to be allocated uh, when it is legislated. Now, um, like you said, this is this is not something that would come under the crosshairs in, in most political discussions, but. Yeah, macroeconomically, it's it's not a good year for the U.S. budget. Uh, we just got a big tax cut. There's there's a big hole in the budget now. Um, there could be some pressure to reduce uh, uh, funding, the discretionary funding like this, sort of across the board. So we don't know what's going to happen. But 
I don't think uh, this is going to be targeted for that. It's more sort of on the defense and U.S. competitive side of of the uh, of the ledger, and, it, and and again, it would have bipartisan support. So I'm guessing a lot of this money will come in basically as is, or maybe even a little bit more if if they're lucky. Um, but we'll have to see. We'll have to wait and see. The budget process is a slow one, and it it's not going to. Ha- be uh, be done in even a few months. So we'll see what happens. All right, Michael, thanks very much. Another couple good stories. And as usual, we'll see what happens. And uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back again uh, with a couple more stories next week. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.